0: good y'all this is episode 57 of the sports wagon podcast how's everyone doing it's your man uncle dub hit me up on twitter it's, it's uncle dub i t-s-u-n-c-l-e underscore d-u-b now this time you get me late at night so i don't know what's going on it's like my voice is very crackly first thing in the morning <laughs> it's been a long day although i didn't work today i got a snow day yay me and of course, I got a snow day on Thursday. And wait, I don't work on Fridays. Oh my God! So I'm getting a four day weekend. So it's been a great day, and it's going to be even better Friday. Um, so when I come to you today. Want to? Actually, it's been a while since I've recorded this late in the week. So want to kind of do a weekend setup like I've done in the past. You know, old episodes. You know, I usually uh, when I was recording fairly regularly, I would you know give you a weekend setup. Mostly going to be college basketball. Um, Australian Open set I'll talk a little bit about the Australian Open um, today I want to talk a little a little bit a little bit of NFL some major league baseball so you know we're kind of getting into that mode major league baseball is going to get started as uh, soon as spring training ramps up and then of course some college basketball there's some action tonight there was an upset tonight we'll talk about that briefly um but let's start with the NFL so Carson Wentz gets traded to Indianapolis for two picks. So Indianapolis gets Carson Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles get two picks. So for Carson Wentz, this is great because he gets reunited with Frank Reich, who is the head coach in Indianapolis, who was Carson Wentz's OC uh, in Philadelphia. So the Eagles get a third round pick this year. And they get a conditional second-round pick in 2022. So, essentially, the conditional pick will depend upon some conditions on the end of Indianapolis. But Philadelphia will get the eighth pick in this year's draft. So, again, that should you know help them um, with you know with whatever whatever needs they need to fill. Um, Carson Wentz. So, here's how the second this conditional second-round pick works so this is for 2022 Wentz needs to play at least 75% of the Colts offensive snaps to get that second round pick bumped up to a first round pick, or he plays 70% of their offensive snaps and the Colts make the playoffs. So if one of those two scenarios takes place, that second round pick, which is currently conditional will get bumped up to a first round pick. So I, in my mind, as I'm reading this and I'm talking and I'm thinking about this you know, earlier, I'm going, well, hopefully the Colts aren't going to play dirty pool in this one and say, well, maybe we'll play him so many snaps. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, th- this is a good pickup for them because, as we know, Philip Rivers just retired. So they are in need of a quarterback. Um, <laughs> the, the reception to this on social media has just been very interesting. Philly fans are elated. From what I've seen, Philly fans are like, "Bye, dude. <laughs> See you later." Um, there's been there was just so much rancor on the team with Wentz there, and obviously the fan base wasn't happy. I mean, the fan base is still, you know, really. Wow, there's just so much going on in Philly. I mean, the new coach, you know, I'm still going, who is this guy? You know, I could easily Google him, but I, it'd be easy for me to say, who, who, who is this guy? Like, I mean, I know he was the OC from the Colts, and they're hiring this guy. And, you know, we still can say, well, guess what? You know, there's so many other great um, candidates out there. Jim Caldwell. Um <laughs> Eric B enemy. Um, but uh, Leslie Frazier, but, um, you know, we're going to go with Nick Sirianni. Okay. Good, good, good pick here. And, 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 and talking and interacting with Philly fans on Twitter, they're just calling this is going to be a long off season. You hope the season is going to get longer. Um, but Jalen hurts, uh, is the guy he's not guaranteed the start, starting spot, but he is the guy, but I think that's kind of where it all went to hell. When you know you got Wentz here, then the team goes out and they draft Hurts, and I'm going wait. You draft a quarterback. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Jalen Hurts; he's a good quarterback. But you've got a capable guy, and you draft Hurts. Now, here's the other piece of that: you draft Hurts. Hurts gets a, gets an opportunity. He goes out and does what he's supposed to do. Wentz gets angry. I don't want to m- make all this money to be a backup. Are you kidding me? Shh. <sighs> For the money they're paying him look if i were him i'd be sitting literally sitting on the bench counting a stack seriously just (laughs) lick my finger and start counting some money dude you're a backup you get paid tons of money but i get it he wants to play fine so um the philly fans are later he's gone indianapolis fans are feeling a little iffy about this one so um We won't know until they play, so it's all going to come out in the wash, but in the words of Denny Green, oh, is it Denny Green is why you play the game? Is that? No, wait. uh, No. Anyway, whatever. One of them, guys. It's late. I'm tired, so whatever. Um, Also in the NFL, the salary cap. So I reported this uh, in a previous episode that salary cap was going to drop roughly about... 10 to 20 million this year. So the number from 2020 was about $189.2 million. The salary cap is going to be somewhere in a range between 180 and 185. The number is probably going to be about 180. So we're looking at about almost a 20 million, so close to about $18.2 million drop in the salary cap. Um, so what's nice about this is teams can roll over cap room from previous years to the current cap um, so we all know what's happening here that because of COVID-19 attendance has been down and it was down tremendously attendance was down 17 million fans from this past season so you're getting not getting the the gate money, you're not getting the concession money, the parking money. So as I, you know, as I had the uh, discussion uh, two episodes ago with with, uh, Dr. Jeff Freilich, so um, we talked about the impact of COVID in sports. So if you haven't checked out the episode, I would highly recommend it. It was a great conversation about just the impacts. And and, and, and when we know that the money is the biggest impact that, you know, the NFL, MLB, NBA, they're saying because, you know, Adam Silver uh, told ESPN, you know, the All-Star Game is a go. Um, however, what they're doing is smart because they're not going to have a regular All-Star Game. It's not going to be this full-blown event with parties and stuff like that. So um, Mayor Keisha Knight Bottoms has told, um, has made a statement and told people, do not come to Atlanta for All-Star Weekend. And Adam Silver basically reiterated her call. He basically said, there's not going to be anything for fans to do. It's not going to be, we're going to have all these events. There's, be, there's not going to be anything. And I think having an all-star game is a total waste of time, especially in the middle of a pandemic. You're going to have an all-star game. I think that is the dumbest thing they could do. Now they're claiming, oh, we're going to make all this money. We're going to donate it to HBCUs. That's great. But I mean, do you really need to have an all-star game to make money, to donate HBCUs. The NBA has enough money, either, okay, you got some money squirreled away here, or hell, each owner could pony up a little bit of money, they stroke a check, there you go. Again, to me, the all-star game just seems ridiculous. Um, You're gonna play in front of very few to no fans, Um, it's going to be a made for TV event. So they had it in Atlanta because it's going to be an exclusive Turner sports event. But I just really think this is a terrible, I mean, even with no fans there, no events. Why are we wasting our time? I mean, you could just say we're just going to have a, a a break of, you know, however long the all-star break is it's a few days. Just give these guys a break. Just let them rest. I mean, remember, you know, this past season bled into this season. So these guys started training camp. Um, let's see what, if the season ended and the season ended in October and then they had to turn right around and go back to training camp because again, training camp usually starts around October. So the season started in December. So the season started a little before Christmas. So these guys need a break. So I, again, I just really just think the all-star game is, Just pointless. But back to the kind of the original point here that, you know, all the leagues are experiencing, you know, big declines in revenues. And so, you know, again, this is where we're seeing some of the effects. We're seeing the effects, at least from the NFL standpoint, we're seeing it in the salary cap uh, hit. So, you know, and then that's going to trickle down to the teams, of course, with each team. Every team has their different salary cap issues because, again, we're in the middle of free agency. You know, teams are trying to make moves. So, you know, teams have the ability to, you know, make the moves necessary with their salary caps in order to, um, you know, get the, get the free in that they need. And, then, of course, the draft is coming up. So, you know, it's all going to come out. Um, interesting, interestingly enough, but we've already seen some moves with, you know, the swap between Jared Goff and, um, uh, Matthew Stafford. So that's, that deal will take effect in a couple weeks. And then of course, uh, Carson Wentz. So, uh, you know, we're going to be seeing some more moves right up to, uh, which is traditionally what happens. We'll see moves right up to, up, up until, um, draft day and during draft day. So, Again, I, I'm going to say this again, but you know, I really wish the NFL would make the draft time shorter. In other words, they have 10,000 rounds. I don't even know how many freaking rounds that they have, but it seems like they're they're drafting players over a week. And in between each pick, at least for the first round, I know in later rounds it gets quicker. But in between each pick in the first round, it's like they literally play an NFL quarter. And it's the longest 15 minutes ever it's so ridiculous they these teams know who they're going to pick why in the hell do they actually i mean and, and and i used to watch the nfl draft and then i got to the point where i was like i can't sit here for 15 minutes you know gonna listen to all the talking heads blather on about whatever and you're waiting you're waiting they literally take the whole 15 minutes between each pick to to say, Hey, we're going to, you know, the first pick is going to be, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Why are we taking 15 minutes for this? We know who the first pick is. The second pick might be a little, we might, there might be a little suspense there, but you literally do not need to take 15 minutes to figure this out. You know who you're going to pick. There are people you've like, back in the day when they had the draft, people are sitting there on the phones and you know, they're, they're, pencil and paper and they're doing their homework and well, if you get this guy and whatever now it's the internet age, you've already taught this guy, you've seen this guy. I mean, most of the time they already have a deal worked out. It's just like, okay, you just say, Hey, uh, Hey Goodell. uh, we want this guy. Uh, go do it now. Take three minutes out of your life, write it on some paper, send it to the commissioner. Let's speed this shit up, okay? <laughs> because the NFL draft is fucking boring. I'm sorry. It is boring as hell. I would rather watch the NBA draft because they they get it going. They make it happen. You get like you'll get like 10 picks in like 30 minutes. I mean it, I mean, yeah, you get 10 picks in like 30 minutes. It goes pretty quickly. So I mean, but that's just me. Um Switching gears over to Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr. and San Diego Padres agree on a get this, a 14-year, $340 million contract extension. Yes, you heard that. 14 years, 340 million. Haven't done the math on that. What are we talking about? Uh, that's about 34, 342. That's about two. That's about 20 some million dollars a year, something to that regard. Um 28 yeah 20 some million dollars a year um so let's look at this he is 22 so if he stays with the padres for the extent of that contract he will be 36 when the when this contract when this contract is up it is the third largest deal in major league baseball history and you look at the numbers you look at the fact that he is quickly become the face of not just the San Diego Padres, but the face of major league baseball. Um, the deal also includes a no trade clause. And it's a very, very airtight, no trade clause. So basically any deal that comes across to San Diego, he has the right to veto any deal. So if there's, if he's up for trade, he can say, Hey, I don't want to go here or, mm, you know what? I'm out of here. So he has, he has, all the control in this deal. Um, It's interesting that, you know, you have him and Manny Machado, who plays next to him at third base, that they both have $300 million contracts in this small market for the small market team. And, you know, this is a, a good deal for everybody because, you know, looking at his talent, the way he plays the game, you know, they're building the team around him. He is the centerpiece of this team. And I, I, when I saw these numbers, I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! This has to be a mistake." I'm totally reading this wrong. I took off my glasses. I looked at it again. I'm going, "Wow, that's a lot of money," but it's money well spent. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the Padres. I mean, they've lost some players. I think a couple players, you know, left and signed deals with other teams. But um, I think that you know the Padres are in the playoffs last year. So you know, one of those things that you expect to see is them to. Improve, although um I think what the what the Caesar Sports Book has the Dodgers. Um, I think they put out the odds of how many games they're going to win this season, and I think, oh my gosh, I can't remember the number, but nevertheless, they have them winning about a hundred in how many games? I check it real quick. Highest? Let's see. They open with the highest season wins betting total since the 99 Yankees. So yeah, the sports book has them winning 104, 104 and a half. So let's say 105 games. So they have them winning 105 games. So what 162 game season, that means they'll go if, if it happens, they'll go what 105 and 57. Yeah. 105 and 57. So they're saying, um, the William Hill sports book is saying that the Dodgers are going to win 105 games and lose 57. That's pretty good. Um, and then of course the Padres, while we're speaking of them, they are opening with winning 92 games this season, but you know, that's what they have to contend with. So, you know, the Dodgers are still, you're pretty much your best odds on favor to repeat as world series champions. But you know, the national league is, you know it, it's it's coming along uh because of you know the, the, this this these sorts of deals so i mean congrats to him great deal It's going to be interesting to see you know how he's going to uh, play as the season goes on hoping that things go uh in the right direction because so far everything is still on track to go the 162 games um, also, Major League Baseball, Tim Tebow retires from the Mets organization after five years. So in 2019, he played 77 games in their uh, in their farm system. He hit 163 or four home runs for his career. He has a 223 batting average. Um, I reported this because there was nothing else for baseball. I mean, initially, I saw that he was invited to spring training and i was like why <laughs> because i actually forgot he was playing baseball i totally forgot but you know he i i basically applaud him because he knew when to just say it's time to go and and that's smart on his behalf because you know you he hits what 163 home runs in 2019 um 223 for his career is not bad but I mean, if you think about other dual sport athletes like DJ Dozier, like, you know, primetime, um, you know, a lot of there's a long list of guys who are two sport athletes like him. The difference is the vast majority of them got to the big show. He did not. I think he topped out of triple A. So for whatever reason, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I'm this tim tebow baseball historian but you know there's clearly something that just kept him from you know hitting that next level to at least try to at least play uh in the major leagues but you know i mean he what does he do he he's already um a, a analyst at espn uh ssc network espn so i mean Plus, I'm sure he hopefully he's got some football money somewhere and he's a Heisman Trophy winner. So, you know, he's going to be all right. <laughs> I mean, let, let's let's go ahead and keep that shit 100. All right, when we come back. We'll talk. Um, we can set up. We'll talk about a little men's basketball, women's basketball, um, some news and notes from the uh, from college, from college sports. And then we'll talk about. Last night's, uh, or two nights ago, because it is now Friday morning, <laughs> um, the Australian women's uh, semis, and we'll set up the Australian women's final. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. So let's look at the weekend here. So as I mentioned, the weekend is going to be mostly uh, college basketball. So first, let's look at tonight. There are a couple games tonight. Uh, number eleven Iowa went to Wisconsin, and they beat Wisconsin seventy-seven to sixty-two. Uh, Luca Garza, so he's currently a Wooden Award uh, nominee, 30 points, 8 rebounds. Joe Wieskamp chipped in with 17 points. Um, Watch some of this game. I mean, Iowa pretty much had a fairly comfortable lead for most of the game. Um, They led, um, uh, had a 9-point lead the half, but then uh, went ahead and and actually outscored Wisconsin by 6 points in the second half. But you know, went on to a very comfortable win. Iowa shot 63% from three-point land. They shot 51% from the field. Conversely, Wisconsin shot poorly from both three-point land. So anywhere between uh, they shot about 30% from three-point land and uh, 30% from the field. So again, you know, the, the shooting for Iowa uh, tend to uh, made the difference here. Um, Number one, Gonzaga, uh, easy win over their arch rivals. St. Mary's, 87-65. Corey Kispert at 20 points for the number one uh, ranked Bulldogs. Um, We did have one upset tonight. Uh, Number six, Houston falls Wichita State, uh, 68-63. The game looked fairly even as far as stats are concerned. Each team at any time had a double-digit lead, so at one point, Houston had his largest lead was 12, Wichita State as largest lead was 10. So, again, this ought to prove to be interesting for the American Conference as, um, you know, we come down the stretch here. Wichita State is actually currently um, first in the American Conference. Houston is second. Uh, they have a half game lead over Houston. So, again. You know, you know, Houston, you know, under Kelvin Sampson, you know, they've been looking really good over the last couple seasons. seasons. Um, a lot of folks think that, you know, they've got this opportunity to make a deep run to the tournament. I tend to agree, um, you know, it seems like the top 10 outside of uh, Gonzaga and uh, Baylor, you know, everybody from three on down has just kind of been, it's just been a nice game of, you um, Musical Chairs. Um, so, some of the teams that you know I'm mentioning will be in action uh, over the next few days. Um, let's look at the Saturday slate. Uh, so, starting at two o'clock on ESPN, Texas Tech, number fifteen, will visit uh, Lawrence to take on number twenty-three, Kansas. Kansas is back in the top twenty-five. So, we'll see. You know, them probably make a slow climb back into this thing as we move towards tournament time. Um, ABC at three o'clock. Now this game is still on schedule, considering all the things that are happening in Texas, West Virginia. Number thirteen is scheduled to visit number twelve, Texas, in Austin. Again, as of right now, the game is still on. I, I would be, I would not be surprised if this game gets canceled, but we'll see what happens. Um, the eight p.m. blockbuster game on ESPN. Number seven Duke, number seven Virginia, rather visits. Duke and Cameron, Cameron and North Stadium. So again, you know Duke is still trying to get those one or two signature wins that kind of help push them back into um, the tournament talk. But right now, they're kind of on the bubble, and those are that those are words that you rarely say to yourself. Duke on the bubble—that's something you never say. But you know, you you know the, with the year everyone's having, Duke is not having a great year my last episode i talked about you know jalen johnson and you know him opting out and you know all the you know folks who just have all the these grand ideas of what that means but nevertheless uh, on top of all that you know duke is not having uh, the best season on sunday number three michigan goes to columbus to take on arch rival number four ohio state that's cbs at one o'clock so you didn't get them on the gridiron but you're gonna get them on the hardwood so both of these teams are going to literally go hard in the paint to see if they can win this game and to kind of, you know, establish dominance in the big 10 women's basketball. Actually, I didn't catch up on these scores here. We had some scores tonight. I'll come back to those just a moment. Uh, Your Friday night games, Oregon, number 13, Oregon visits, number eight, UCLA. That'll be on the PAC 12 network at 8 PM on Sunday. You've got a nice slate of games from the SEC and the Big Ten. Number 21, Tennessee, goes to Athens to play Georgia. That's noon on the SEC network. Um, Number 15, so we got to run it back. On Sunday, number 15, Ohio State, visits Ann Arbor, Chrysler Arena, to take on number 11, Michigan. That's ESPN at 2 o'clock. Uh, number seventeen, Kentucky, will visit uh, Dawn Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks, ranked number two in Columbia. That'll be ESPN at three o'clock. Um, so from tonight, um, two games from the top twenty-five. Um, Tennessee takes down number two South Carolina, seventy-five to sixty-seven. Uh, for South Carolina, Aliyah Boston, seventeen points, sixteen rebounds, one assist, and Renia Davis from South from Tennessee. 24 points, 12 rebounds, 1 assist. Um, Then we also had Michigan uh, visited Indiana, and Indiana beats number 11 Michigan, 70-65. to So, we had some upsets on the women's side tonight. Oh, and one other upset here, BYU 61, number 16, Gonzaga 56. So, we've had a few upsets tonight on the women's side of things here. So, I mean, it's going to As always, make for a very interesting weekend as we push closer and closer towards the the finish line in conference play and the conference tournaments will begin very shortly. Um, One note from college sports, the Ivy League. So here's the Ivy League again. The Ivy League has made the decision to cancel spring sports. Now, the asterisk here is they're canceling in conference sports. So, in the note, they said that they are allowing for teams to, if they want to play out of conference opponents, they're free to do so. Um, so, one example of that, that I think an Ivy League coach expressed some, dis- some disappointment is college baseball. So, one of the coaches, I want to say was the, the, the Yale coach, but I, I could be imagining that, but an Ivy League coach expressed this idea that if we go out and schedule, games out of conference that's probably not going to get them the requisite games that they will need to qualify for the ncaa tournament a typical college baseball season you have 56 regular season games then you have 26 playoff games so if you play the 56 games you qualify for you know obviously you're going to go to your conference tournament let's say you don't win your conference tournament but you win so many games you still have the opportunity to qualify for the NCAA tournament, and that's potentially another 26 games. So a team that goes through an entire season and plays all these games, you play roughly about 82 games. So you're playing roughly about half of a little more than half of a major league season. So this particular coach was like, that doesn't help us. So in essence for at least college baseball, they're probably not going to have a season. I don't know what what the minimums would be for the cross or any other uh, any other sport, but nevertheless, the Ivy League has decided that they were going to not participate in spring sports, at least from a conference standpoint. Um. So with that, the last thing I have is, of course, women's tennis. So as I as I finished up last the last episode, and I was. Writing the notes and I, you know, did everything and posted and went to bed. I was like, oh crap! I didn't talk about, you know, the the, the Australian Open and really, this particular year the Australian Open the the headlines weren't terribly sterling. Um, you know, last year at this time I remember talking about Coco Golf and she was making a run and. There was, you know, some things, you know, some another player that she went up against. Her father had some words because he's like, oh, well, she's going to hype because she's this kind of flashing pan player. And, you know, and I'm thinking and I think I may have said this in an episode. I go, dude, no one's heard of your kid until now. So what are you trying to say? But nevertheless, um, we got the semifinal that we thought we were going to get Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams. Uh, played a couple nights ago, Osaka beat Williams 6-3-6-4, so Naomi was the third seed, Serena's the 10th seed, Um, so Naomi Osaka will meet fellow American Jennifer Brady, she's the 22nd seed, she defeated uh, Carolina Muchova, who's the 25th seed, 6 3 3 6 6 Um, Muchova um, knocked off the number one seed and number one player in the world, Ash Barty. So, again, she was kind of, you know, (laughs) making a making a run and it got cut short. So we got uh, Jennifer Brady against Naomi Osaka in the final. So that will be I don't know if this number is right, because I've seen I feel like the times have been uh, misrepresented. Um, It's at 7 p.m. on ESPN tomorrow and i think i saw a commercial that said 3 a.m so now (laughs) i'm just like when the hell are they actually gonna play um i'll look that up anyway so um um to kind of preview this you know you've got two players who first of all they've got really huge serves and so that's gonna prove to be you know who's going to have the best return of serve in all of this? Um, Osaka model her game off of Serena Williams, so not just the big serve, but the strong forehand. So all these things are going to, you know, kind of come to a head um, on uh, on on today. Jeez <laughs> uh, Louise, why can't I get the uh, men's singles information here? This is crazy. Women's singles. It's probably it, well, it probably means it's gonna be so it's actually gonna be three thirty AM on Saturday. So right, so that's correct. I don't know why it said seven PM on ESPN's website anyway. So so um I think if I recall correctly, I know she has been in a I think Jim Brady has been in a final before either or she's been in the semifinals. Nonetheless, um we're gonna see a game where I think um unforced errors will play a role in you know the player who has the more the most unforced errors will probably be the one that's going to be in the short end of this i mean that's obvious in tennis but i mean when you're hitting um, when you you want to play that baseline game I, i think the baseline game works for some but not for everybody osaka It works for her, but sometimes I feel like she can do a little bit more with her footwork. I think she needs to move a little bit more, but she has the game to hit from the baseline. Now, again, hitting shot for shot with Serena Williams does not work for everybody. Now, in this particular match, Serena had 12 winners versus 24 24 unforced errors, and 10 of those were from her forehand. So when you have 24 unforced errors, it's hard to lose a match so if she had less unforced errors a few more winners this could have gone in the other direction so where does that leave us so with serena she's still trying to chase that 24th major to tie margaret court and you know we we saw the last we saw her uh, press conference and she was visibly shaken very upset she left crying And many thought, well, is this it? And I don't think this is it. Um, I still believe that she can win this 24th major. Now, the 24th major only ties the record. So she still has some uphill work to do to break the record. Because, you know, there was an article in the Washington Post a couple days ago where they you know talked about and i mentioned this in some in the earlier episode last year the very complicated um legacy of margaret court so and, and and we're not talking about on the court we're talking about off the court so um i don't remember what episode it is but you know around this time last year with australian open i talked a little bit about um martina Navratilova was petitioning for the a state of victoria where um the australian open is played to change one to change uh, the name of one of the state i think one of the stadiums is named after marker Court. she is australian and martina uh suggested that they change the name take her name off the court and change it to name in honor of yvonne gulagong who is australian she's also aboriginal and I think, considering the very you know controversial um, legacy that Margaret Court has led post tennis, I think that this is the way to go. But I feel like you know there are still plenty of people who feel some kind of way about Serena's march towards tying Margaret Court. Um, I, I, woke up in the middle of the night last night, I had forgot about the match. And then I, and it was all late anyway, you know, I probably would have fallen asleep and I was falling asleep watching cooking shows, but, um, it was, you know, a lot of people were complaining about Chris Everett and how, you know, you know, if you watch a tennis match and she's, uh, commentating, she just says a lot of stuff that you're just like, come on, really? I mean, she's very... She says a lot of stuff that's very, very just just has a lot of racial undertones. And this is kind of like, you know, can we just focus on the match? There's like a lot of shade, a lot of racial undertones of what she's talking about. And uh, and I, I saw somebody go, aren't there aren't there other black former players who could commentate? And I'm going, <laughs> no, because <laughs> to be real with you i think now i can literally use almost almost more than one hand to count all the black women players in tennis now now back in the day i can only think of one it was Nina garrison and i think she is retired she might be coaching somewhere maybe somebody can give her a chance to be a uh, a commentator but yeah i i you know chris effort's commentary i mean I, I, and I'll be real with you, I grew up watching her play, you know, her and uh, Martina Navratilova had a great rivalry, they did a, um, a document, I think, at 30 for 30 about their relationship, you know, they were rivals, but they, you know, were friends and, and, and became friends over time, but, you know, I, I just really feel like You know, her commentary just goes outside of tennis when when Serena plays and it's very bothersome. And I totally agree with that. But um, in speaking of those two, it lends me to think about this rivalry, so to speak, that's developed between Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams in such that, you know, every time they play, you know, Naomi Osaka is like, you know, you know, I always get so nervous, you know, and I and I look up to her and I admire her. So you're seeing, you know, that new up and coming face of tennis against the current face of tennis, women's tennis. And, you know, you know, some people talked about, you know, you know, have has the torch been passed? It has not because the torch gets passed when Serena walks away. And like I said, I don't think she's walking away anytime soon. And I would love to I mean, look, I would love to see her get that record and just say I'm done because will someone come out to her and break her record? Possibly. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller, but I always talk about what Serena's trying to accomplish. And then of course over here, you got what Tiger's trying to accomplish. And, you know, I think about those two and I just, you know, I think I did a poll a while back and I'm just like, well, who's gonna, who's got the better chance. And The more I think about it, I think Serena has the better chance because, you know, for the most part, you know, she's had motherhood. She's had some injury. She's, you know, had some issues that she's had to, you know, uh, retire from matches. But, you know, for the most part, she's been fairly steady and she's close. She's so close. I mean, she's got three more opportunities this year. She's got the French, which if I recall correctly, she's not the French is not her best. Uh, her best tournament. Um, we all know how she does at Wimbledon. She's had she's had so much um, uh, success at Wimbledon, and she's had a lot of success at the U.S. Open. So I mean, it, it, let's see. Yes, so she's only won the French Open three times. She's won Wimbledon two, four, two, four, six, seven times. She's won the U.S. Open two, four, six times. Australian two, four, six, seven times. So the French is not her best event. Now she last time she won the French was 2015. It's six years later. Maybe this, maybe this is her year. I don't know. She last won Wimbledon in 2016. Won the U.S. Open in 2014. So again, what I'm saying is she's due. When it's gonna happen? We don't know, but we're hoping I'm hoping that she's able to pull this off. She can get two more in and then she can walk away knowing that she has the most majors of all time. Tiger, on the other hand, you know, between injury, a bad marriage, personal issues. I mean, both tennis and golf are very mental golf more, much more. So trust me, I play and it's mental, but sport in general is mental. But I feel like, you know, to tweak his, you know, to tweak his game at this late in this, at this late in his career it, it is difficult because, you know, I remember I talked about, I think before might've been the U S open last year where he decided oh, I'm gonna change my putter dude, why would you change your putter right before you're about to go play the U S open? That is, that's crazy. You know, that's like, Oh, well, I've been swinging the, swinging the club this way. I'm going to try to change my swing just a little bit. Are you insane? Do what you've been doing. Just just go out there, do what you do and figure it out. Don't change anything now. That's crazy. But here we are. So, um, Serena, I don't think is done. And I, I would, yeah <laughs> she she she's gonna be okay I, I think um she just has to you know take some time and, and and get herself ready i mean it's february the french is not until may if it's gonna go on like it's supposed to so we'll see like i said i think uh, i think she's due let's say if not the french maybe wimbledon i i, I think one of those two she'll tie the record So if she ties the record with one of those, maybe the U.S. Open, she gets it done. But I think, I have a feeling that one of those two, she's due. Maybe maybe it's going to be the French Open. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, I appreciate you listening. Thank you for the the kind words, the support on Twitter. Um, Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell a friend, um, you see all my information in the show notes. I'm on Twitter. It's uncle Dove, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B until next time. So hopefully I will be back with you on Monday. So we'll kind of recap the weekend, get ready for the week ahead. We'll talk college, college basketball. We'll see what things have developed over the weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to, um, bringing you another guest next week. So uh, until then, thank you. And I will talk to you on Monday.